Hello and welcome to Literally Gagging. This is a podcast where we aim to warm your hearts and maybe some other places with festive cheer. Have you been naughty or nice this year? Will Santa be sliding a sexy little something into your stocking? We want to be like your fun drunk aunt on Christmas Day. We're off our tits on mulled wine. We'll proposition everyone with a cheeky little sprig of mistletoe and we might offend some boomers by the end of the night. So if that doesn't sound like something that you are going to be interested in, then you can go be a Scrooge somewhere until New Year. Anna, and we'll see you later. This week, as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host Molly. How are you this week, darling? I'm good. I am enjoying that intro because uh, you talked about the aunties who ruin Christmas and I don't know what's the worst. I'm going to ask you how. What's the worst thing that a relative has ever said to you on Christmas Day or Boxing Day that's sort of ruined it? So... In a way, for this, I'm really fortunate because most of my family are okay. People are always really surprised. And I remember speaking to my partner about it. And he was like, you do realise that your family are so abnormal in the grand scheme of things <laughs> because generally you all seem to quite like each other and I was like oh is that not normal and he was like not even a tiny bit normal like we watched a Christmas episode of Malcolm in the Middle yeah where Francis and Piyama are at the farm with mm. the weird Germans and they're all arguing and they're like oh we really miss our families we should have gone home for Christmas because seeing this argument's making them nostalgic and Sean was like you don't know what that's like, do you? And I was like, no. And he was I, like, you're weird. You're what? the weird ones. <laughs> I live in the fucking Waltons or something. You really like, do. I don't even know where to start on this topic. <laughs> and I probably shouldn't have got into it in the beginning, but the Christmas Cards Against Humanity had just come out. Not a family game. Not a family game. Um, but we played it on Christmas Day. And interestingly, my aunt with Down Syndrome won Cards Against Humanity. So I don't know what that <laughs> says about all of us or her. <laughs> Um, so this other aunt, like, in the middle of dinner, she'd been playing it too. And she was like, well, the thing that they just wouldn't tell me is, well, I don't know if I should ask about it. And we were like, okay, like, go on then. Everyone is in the middle of eating and she just goes, so, what's bukkake? <laughs> For God's sake. <laughs> and whose job was it to tell her? We did like we just couldn't like my my cousins who were sort of my age like a bit older, and her partner like they just couldn't like couldn't stop laughing like and like my nan has no idea what any of this is so she's still eating potatoes. Well, <laughs> my aunt's like, why will no one tell me what bukkake? <laughs> beautiful it's a beautiful time uh, oh reading this book made me feel really festive i'm so excited like, for christmas full disclosure the last week of october but <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling really christmasy now i know and i am really sad that after everything that's happened this year it's been a really shitty year like there's no sort of fun sparkly outfits there's no there's not that release that you get at the end of the year that yeah. you usually get to have which I think everyone needs this year as well. But obviously, not letting people die is more important than getting to wear sequins and drink 
Prosecco. It's such a weird time to be looking like forwards to Christmas. Yeah. And I say forwards as opposed to like not looking forward to it, but just looking towards it. Anyway, so to get everyone in the Christmas mood, to get everyone nice and sexy, like Primark are going to be doing their sexy Santa Claus outfit, you know, the little Mrs. Claus with the jingle bells mm-hmm. around the tits. We are the book equivalent of that this week. We're the podcast equivalent of the jingle bells in your ears. And we are reading Merry Inkmas by Talia Hibbert. We are. Which is a nice little festive treat. Festive treat is the perfect way to describe this book. It was absolutely lovely and not like I didn't expect to enjoy it but as people may have noticed in the last six weeks of episodes we've very much just been picking things based on the season we're like it's Halloween we'll do something spooky yeah it's Christmas we'll do something Christmassy that was the main reason we chose it and I was so pleasantly surprised by this oh book. Hannah I forgot to ask you what are you drinking this week I wanted to be drinking something festive and then I forgot oh so in actuality I'm drinking a Chambord and tonic water oh no, I know, I know. <laughs> I forgot to buy Bailey's. This is where we're at. Because you said you were going to go Christmassy. I went to Sainsbury's. And I know. Did you actually you do get, it? Well, I know that you can get Bailey's in a tin, can't you? Scoured all of it. I couldn't even find the normal bottles of Bailey's. And then I found them and I was like, £12 for something I am probably never going to drink again. And then I saw the yeah. Amaretto and I was like, again, am I going to drink that? So I settled for a Tia Maria. Okay. And I've got two mini bottles of Prosecco for after my Tia Maria. Because I felt like that was Christmassy. That's so festive. I'm sorry that I ruined the festive illusion for everybody (laughs) by forgetting. Yeah, a wonderful festive read. Um, The phrase that I I lifted the word in directly from Talia Hibbert's website because I thought it summed up quite well. This is... An emotional Christmas romance between a brooding tattoo artist dealing with invasive thoughts and his new Disney-obsessed receptionist who's just trying her best. This book features artistic pining, snarky office banter and Beauty and the Beast references. And it's like, mwah, chef kiss, perfect. I would describe this book as, you know when you get a box, like a tin of celebrations at Christmas and you find the last Malteser one and that like oh yes that's how i describe this book it's like finding the last malteser in a box of celebrations that's beautiful yeah well, that's the quote she's going to want to put in, <laughs> in the book it's amazing um but genuinely i really enjoyed it it's really well written the characters are really well developed completely there's so many different issues that they address in this book and i was just like oh, but they do it so well like she does it so well it's done really well in that obviously all people as this book says at some point like come with baggage everyone has their shit yeah. that they're dealing with and also has romantic relationships and has sexy times and none of those things like stop you from being able to do all that and i think it it doesn't spoil the like romantic illusion it makes it feel more realistic it and does, therefore yeah. it's like sexier and more romantic so do you want to tell us about talia i absolutely will so talia hibbert is a black british romance novelist and that is something we really liked about this mm. as well is that it's nice to read something contemporary and british it's set in nottingham which bamboozled me because i was like fucking nothing is set in nottingham there is nothing in nottingham at all apart from maybe nottingham playhouse like Manchester, Sheffield, even Leeds, London, like Birmingham. Like, People set things in those places. The Northeast, loads of stuff. Yeah, Nottingham, repping it for Nottingham. We Nottingham, who knew? 
She writes contemporary and paranormal romance and her big thing is writing diverse narratives with characters of varying race, ethnicity, body shape, sexual orientation and life experience. And quite a lot of her characters fall under what is called the hashtag own voices movement, which was originally for kind of specifically for young adult fiction, but has spread beyond that. And it's the idea that diverse characters are being written by authors with that same diversity. So as Talia Hibbert is a black woman with fibromyalgia and autism, and therefore she can write characters who are black, British, have chronic illnesses are autistic are neurodivergent all those different things Mm. and the whole thing is like it's not enough to just have diverse characters it's not enough for like a white person to just write someone of a different race or someone you know a straight person to write an lgbt romance or whatever it has to be people within those communities pushing their communities forward and keeping it really authentic and giving those minority voices like a genuine voice rather than a stereotyped one or whatever it might be she has written an absolute fuck ton of books in the last three years which is insane um she used an inheritance from her great-grandmother to start her writing career to give her the money to do that and in the first year she published her first nine books self-published them she's had a series kind of traditionally published with avon romance the first one is called get a life chloe brown um, and that is the first of a trilogy and yeah it's just something that she's very into is pushing more diverse narratives especially into the romance genre which as we have found in doing this podcast is very white white. and quite straight and definitely not neurodivergent definitely not catering to people with disabilities or chronic illnesses or anything like that and talia's smashing it out the park left right and center love her she's incredible i was listening to her being interviewed on a couple of podcasts she said something like it takes her four weeks to write a book that's fast man she originally went to study law but like realized it wasn't for her so then went back and uh, so like changed degrees did english and she was also a makeup artist amazing she can do everything it's great so should we get into it let's not wait any longer let's not be like parents who make their kids wait until after dinner to open their presents on christmas day that's not cool so we open up on a lovely lady called bailey who works in a coffee shop and it's christmas time and you know they've got the santa mochaccinos and gingerbread lattes all around and they're trying to push stuff like that and she's in her it's her christmas jumper day so she's wearing that and her friend's sort of taking the piss because all she's ever done is put a bit of tinsel in her hair which like we've all been there we've, we've all, all been, been there, there when you're the one who put some effort into christmas jumper day and then there's some bitch in like a sparkly hair clip and you're like oh good for you that well done oh was it today like, oh silly me and they're having a gas having a bubble because there's cute coffee guy hot coffee guy whatever he's called is about to come through the door and he's been coming through like every other day for ages and when he comes in and she says what do you want he just goes surprise me oh elusive and sexy i would hate that i hate it when people do things so much pressure there's so (laughs) much pressure and i'm like i guess i'll just give you what i like or I don't know. I, I don't know what to do in these situations. Make a decision. I'll just You're make an adult. you like a random selection yeah. of things and be like, do you <laughs> like any like. But when he, we kind of get this description of the first physical description of him and I will be honest this is fully on me I kept forgetting what he looked like and making assumptions in my head about what he looked like which were not correct <laughs> because so he well for a start he's wearing leather gloves which makes me feel a bit uncomfortable that makes it's a so serial killer yeah 
He was leaning towards her with his usual heart-stopping grin. Full lips plus white teeth plus thick stubble equals very flustered Bailey. His dark red hair swung silkily around the sharp, masculine lines of his face, softening his aquiline nose and heavy brow. He was so tall and so broad that his leather-clad shoulders almost filled her view entirely. For a second, Bailey allowed herself to imagine those shoulders becoming her world, leaning over her in far more intimate surroundings. I kept forgetting he was ginger. Like, I kept... In my head, he had dark hair and he didn't. And then every now and then they'd say he had red hair. And I was like, oh, fun. It sounds bad, but like, it's representation. How many ginger, sexy heroines do we get? Like, sexy heroes, not that many. Gingers never get in there. So he comes in, he says, surprise me, because he's annoying. And she's like, oh, I'll make you a a Christmas something. Got all the Christmas something. You get a generic Christmas beverage. And then as she's making the generic Christmas beverage, um, a homeless chap comes in. We learn that this guy's called John. Him and Bailey are friends. And Bailey's a bit like, you look freezing. What happened? Like, where's your coat? And John's like... Someone else needed it more than I did, so I gave my coat away to them. And she's like, no, you need your coat. You are a homeless man. You are allowed to keep your coat. It is December. You are freezing. Bailey's boss doesn't like John being around because it looks bad for business having a homeless chap in your windows. Fucking Tory. The boss comes out and starts, like, having a go and calling John a junkie. And John's like, I'm not, like, I'm not a junkie. I'm homeless, but I'm not a junkie. Like, come on. Yeah. And a hot coffee guy sort of steps in and, like, grabs the boss, picks him up and, like, grabs him and is like, fuck off, mate. Like, you don't have to be a dick about this. And then Bailey quits her job because he was about to fire her. So... Bailey got in there first. Bailey's trying to argue back and he's like, you shut up or you can go with them. And she's like, fine, I'll go with them then. Bye. And then her mate's like, do do I need to come? And Bailey's like, no, one of us might as well have a job. Like, go, it's fine, it's fine. You get your job, you stay. So they're all sort of outside the coffee shop, like, well, what do we do now? And we learn that the hot coffee guy is called Cash. And Cash had one rule, which was sort of not to get too close to the girl who works at the coffee shop. He made sure he only came in every other day. Like, he set specific rules. And now they've all been thrown out because he's standing outside in the cold with her and a homeless gentleman. And he's like, okay, cool. My name's Cash. Follow me. And they're like, okay. So off the trot. And Cash takes him to a hotel room. And Bailey's a bit like, are you going to pretty woman me? And he's like, what? He's like, she's like, pretty, pretty woman, like the film. And he's like, oh, I've never seen it. And that never yeah, comes like, up I'm again. Doing, <laughs> I'm doing a reference and he's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, get, I don't it. get it. And it's like, okay. <laughs> okay, cool. I guess I'll stop talking now forever. And uh, Cash buys John, the homeless chap, a hotel room for a week whilst they figure things out and like gives him some cash to be like, buy some food, buy some clothes, like live your best hotel yeah, life for a week. Yeah, he gives him his card and he's like, give me a call, like, we'll, I'll I'll sort you out sort yeah. of thing. Um, and John's obviously, like, really overwhelmed um, with gratitude and is like, why are you helping me? And Cash is like, because it could happen to anybody. Like, it's so, it's so easy for, I think most people want to think they are closer to being fucking Jeff Bezos than they are to being on the street. Mm. But for most of us, it's two or three paychecks, realistically, that are keeping you where you are. So think on. And, and Cash is just being, like, just a really good just guy. Just a nice person about it. Cash also says, like, because Bailey's obviously lost her job and she's a bit like, shit, losing a job this close to Christmas isn't an ideal situation to be in. And he's like, I've got you sorted. Like, here's my card. Turn up at this place tomorrow and I will sort you something out. 
And when she says, like, why are you doing this? He was like, because I just wish things were better for everyone. And I'm like, gosh, you and me both, pal. If only people hadn't voted Tory, everything would be fine. So Bailey turns up at the given address on the business card she was given. That was too many givens in one sentence. Um, And she turns up and she's a bit like, oh shit, what am I doing? Is this a good idea? I really need a job, but do I do it this way? And she's umming and ahhing outside and someone like pops her head around the door and is like, are you waiting for cash? And she's like, yeah. The person who's popped the head around the door is like, get in here, it's fucking freezing. Stop being a weirdo, like stood in the street, like get in. (laughs) Um, And this is where Bailey meets Jem. And at this moment in time, she thinks Jem's the receptionist. And she's really intimidated by Jem because she has like pink hair and she's really cool and she works at a tattoo studio and her duck martins match her hair yeah and bailey's there in her like job interview clothes which are not tattoo studio appropriate they're having like awkward chat but bailey sits down and she sees a magazine on the table so she starts like reading it and we find out that cash is super rich and famous in the tattoo industry Mm -hmm. he's a rising star like he's tattooed all over the world People book like months and months and months in advance to get their tattoos done by him. And she's like, oh, okay, okay. And Cash comes in. He's like, okay, come up to the office. And they're just having a chat, like fill out these forms and all this sort of stuff. And we learn that Bailey is 25 and she is studying psychology at university. Because I loved that bit where he, she, he was like, oh, when are you available? And she was like, oh, I'm at uni these days. And he's like, wait, sorry, how old are you? And she's like, oh, I'm 25. And he's like, oh, thank God. Fuck for that. Well, not 19, because that's weird. <laughs> Bailey sort of worries that she's taking Jem's job. She's like, you don't have to hire me just because... I'm a poor soul who lost my job. Like, you've already got someone working here. If you've got the position filled, don't kick her out or don't cut yourself short of yeah salary. Like, you don't need me. And he's like, mm, this is my business. And Jem's the apprentice, uh, so she gets all the shit jobs. That's why she is sat on the desk right now. And as someone who um, used to manage apprenticeship schemes... Giving the apprentice the shit job is not what you were meant to do. It's not what they're there for. It's not what they're there for. Yes, sometimes they have to do the shit job because their skills aren't as high as someone else's because they've literally just come into the industry. Like, they're learning. But specifically making them make teas. She's not going to learn how to do tattoos sat on the front desk. No, no, not at all. So (laughs) please treat your apprentices better in the future. He gets very, like... um, He's like, I appreciate your concern, but, like, it's my fucking business. Don't tell me how to yeah. run a business. And he's quite sort of cold with her. And I think she's a little bit like, oh, I am now realising that hot coffee guy is someone I spoke to for approximately two minutes three times a week. <laughs> and now I've thrown my whole life away to come and work with him and I know like, fuck all about him. He is not the fantasy. The fantasy is, as Anna said, that person you speak to for two minutes who turns up the flirt specifically they're not going to be the flirt 24 7 and now you have to deal with this expectation yeah now he's your boss but there is quite a lot which i like all the way through this she's like following him up the stairs and she's like "Mm, look at his bum and then he's like oh look at her thighs like they are being like professional and having this proper conversation but all the way through their relationship there's a little bit of like damn look at them and i like that because that's cute the story's written from both of their viewpoint you're getting 
both thoughts and there's also stuff that we aren't going to get into again because like we'd be here forever of cash being like oh was that bailey's laugh in the distance who's making her laugh and bailey being like oh is cash here like i wonder what he's thinking right now which again we can't get into but it's really good in the book because it helps the story flow along and it builds up that tenseness that you want them to bang because you're like, I'm sexually frustrated now for the two of you. Please, can you get this yeah. out? Because I can't bang either one of you, so please do it for us. <laughs> After this, Bailey comes down the stairs and she meets the rest of the staff. So you've got Jem, the apprentice. Um, you've got Steve, who's sort of the big, burly, bearded tattoo guy who does all the if old If you bikers. imagine, like, a tattoo artist. Yeah. Steve, Steve is your guy but he's like seems like a big soft day but he looks like a bit yeah. he's like quite quiet and he's like got a big beard and he's a bit scary and then you've got Jay who's sort of like a young black guy who he's got the chat yeah he's very charming he's very suave I think the phrase that it uses in here at one point is um Jay's chatting up Bailey and Cash is like that you know that laugh or that charm that got him a mountain of pussy and i was like wow yeah. good wow. for Jay. a mountain of pussy <laughs> a mountain you say that is a lot of pussy i wonder how many vaginas a mountain would be so like say we're basing it on ben nevis as the mountain how many vaginas would fill ben nevis are we attaching the whole woman to the vagina or is it no just it's just vagina? the vagina like literal just the fan wall yeah that's a real lot it's a lot good for jay but bailey also picks up on this little thing that steve has for jem yeah it gets mentioned but it, it doesn't get resolved in the book i think that's one of the things i quite like as well is that all the secondary characters even though a lot of them are very not even secondary like tertiary characters like a very set dressing characters all have an inner life as well so like yeah steve is approximately in three scenes and he says about two sentences but we know that he fancies gem and i like that it's nice but so whilst bailey's getting inducted cash does tattoo on a lady called charlene and charlene is one of those very cool tattooed people like you see them you know who they are that they're just cool people. Like a beautiful, sexy, tattooed lady. We learn that Cash has this rule called the 90-day rule, where he will only see a woman for 90 days, and then that's it, that's your lot, and he doesn't go back. So he'll only ever be with a woman for three months. And Charlene is someone he's had the 90 days with. Yeah. So he's doing a tattoo on her sternum, so like between her tits, like underneath her tits. And he's, obviously she has to have a top up for it. And he's saying that like he can remember what her nipples were like and all this kind of stuff. She's like flirting and giggling and wanting him back. And he's like, we're pals now. You've had your 90 days. She says something like, oh, it's such a shame that you never go back because apparently he's got a very good penis. Mm-hmm. Mm -mm -mm. makes the girls want more the other thing um that we learn about cash is that when he's tattooing he seems to go into almost like a trance because the rest of the time we get glimpses of this and we'll go more into it later is that his brain seems very full like his brain Mm. is doing a lot all the time and when he's tattooing seems to be the only time where he just really goes into this like zone off yeah and then when he finishes, he kind of comes back out of that and is like, oh shit, the real world's still here. And I was like, that's nice. That's a nice detail. So whilst he's tattooing Charlene and she's wistfully thinking of his penis, Bailey's getting to know the rest of the staff. And the guy, Jay, is like, I know your face from somewhere. Like, I really know your face. And she's like, no, we've never met before. And he's like, no, I'm an artist. I know faces. Like, otherwise I'd be a shit artist. She's like, I definitely 
do not think that we've met before. And Cash sort of comes over after tattooing Charlene and is a bit jealous that they're flirting. He gets a bit defensive, being like, she can't go on lunch with you because she's got to stay here and she's got to learn from Jem how to do all this sort of stuff. And Jay's a bit like, oh, okay, that's a bit weird. And then, like, it just, like, clocks in Jay's brain that he realises where he's seen Bailey's face before. It's because Cash doodles Bailey's face on everything. Jay is like, okay... I see what's happening here. Fully backing away. You go for it. Fair play to Jay. Cash is like, I can see the moment in his eyes where he realises who she is. So again, in kind of introducing all these characters and getting little more glimpses of them. While Jem is showing Bailey like the spreadsheet or the computer. The tills, yeah. Um, She's showing her something. And Bailey's kind of clocking all her tattoos because Bailey doesn't have any. And so obviously suddenly being surrounded by all these tattooed people. She says that Jem kind of reaches to like scratch her collarbone and the movement shifted her clothing slightly. Just enough for Bailey to see the lavender and indigo tattoo on the other woman's chest. It was delicately lined, surrounded by splashes of pigment that looked like a watercolour painting, a painting etched into her pale skin. Fascinated, Bailey stared at the tattoo. It was an intriguing shape, a merging of the symbols for male and female, along with a third symbol that she didn't recognise. And Jem's like, what are you looking at? And she's like, oh, I just like the colours on your tattoo. I've not seen that one before. And Jem kind of goes off the defensive, like she clearly had Mm. sprung to what what's the problem and was like oh jay did it that's what he does he does watercolors cool and so this is the only genuinely the absolutely only nod to it at all that suggests that gem is probably trans to the point where molly didn't clock it didn't clock it at all hannah (laughs) Hannah had to text me and was like well she's trans and i was like what (laughs) she was like did you did you read the book at all but it's so easy to miss because it's and again because it's not directly linked to the Bailey and Cash story. Later on in the book, Steve is telling Cash to go for it. And Cash is like, why don't you go for it with Jem then? Like, take some of your own advice and leave me alone. And Steve says something like, you know, I can't. Or alludes to the fact that it's not feasible for them to date. Like, Jem's off limits sort of thing. And you assume it's because she's young. I thought it was because she was an apprentice. That he's clearly in a position of authority. But it brings this whole yeah. other thread into it, which is just completely unexplored. But that's because, obviously, like, everyone thinks they're the main character in their story. And everything else that's happening to everyone else, you don't give a shit. Like, Bailey doesn't care. No, you don't. Bailey doesn't no, care. She's trying to bang Bailey's cash. too worried about, Yeah. <laughs> she's busy not a horrible thing but she's got things she's got that you know a psychology to do and banging a dude like it's two things are hard i just quite liked that the the fleshing out of all these characters is so subtly done that you say you might not even clock it it's just background information but if you're looking for it it's there it's a lot more representative than maybe you'd think it would be that's cool so Gemma offers to go out and get them all coffees and then she's like oh do you just want a black one to cash like well cash only drinks black coffee like bailey's jaw drops gem's like yeah yeah no we can't stand any of artisanal coffees like any wanky coffees and gems even says like i don't know why he goes to that like fancy coffee place he always goes to like surely he doesn't get anything good bailey's like what have i been doing making you all this shit have you even been drinking it like what's going on she like confronts him he said i like watching you make all those drinks it's like a little dance you do and you look so 
happy when you love mixing shit up. Bailey paused like she didn't know what to do and just says, wow, aren't you a sweetheart? And he's like, what the hell does that mean? And then like he goes on the defensive and it's like, you don't have to act like such an ass. It's not real. You're a nice guy. And he says, nice guys finish last. And she goes, boring guys finish last. Nice guys finish anywhere they want, especially when they look like you. And then she flounces away. But that really fucks him up that boring guys finish last because we are told like men have to be competitive. Men have to have this like weird driven streak through them and they don't god please no and that's the thing as well is like the idea of like the nice guy in inverted commas and it's like yeah he's like i don't i'm not like a good person and she's like you are though and unfortunately the term nice guy has become so corrupted by men who are actually pieces of shit pretending to be nice yeah the the fedora wearers who are like i'm a nice guy and it's like you haven't showered i'm such a nice guy why don't women like me and it's like maybe because you're actually a cunt like stop telling everyone you're a nice guy just be a decent person anyway (laughs) boring guys finish last nice guys finish wherever they want he's like what the fuck does that mean it sounds sexy Did that mean like the filthy thing that he thought? Because she surely she was too sweet for that. And then that's kind of addressed later on as well, where she's like, just because I'm like friendly and like a bit nerdy doesn't mean I'm not like a sexual person. Yeah. And I thought that was good. So then um, he calls up John and says, look, I've got a mate who runs this sort of charity thing. Need someone to do a bit of admin work. You've got an interview. We learned that John is gay mm-hmm. after this conversation and that John is teasing Cash about fancying Bailey. And he's like, women don't do it for me, but even I can see the appeal of Bailey. Like, she's hot. So crack on. And then we get sort of more interaction of them working in the shop together. There's a bit that I highlighted Cash is in his his own world like doodling and he goes into the zone and Bailey's trying to get his attention for something so um, it's a Cash she said a little louder this time the sound jolted him out of his trance and he looked up at her with unfocused eyes the usually harsh lines of his face were soft the way they might be in sleep and there was no cruel curl to his mouth she might have imagined seeing him this way utterly relaxed unaware once or twice or ten times. Hey, most guys fell asleep after sex, right? And Bailey strove for accuracy in all of her masturbation fantasies. I respect that. She needs the story. <laughs> she needs the full thing. Uh, and then Bailey does something which is like she goes from zero to a hundred. Yeah. I feel quite unnecessarily. So after she's like woken Cash out of this trance, he's a bit like, "What? What are you still?" doing here like you finished half an hour ago you should go and the way it's described is maybe like a little bit snappy with her but he's like oh like why are you here and she's like oh i was just checking all the lights and he was like well i'll do that before i lock up and she goes well excuse me for helping i won't bother again and he's like wow calm down well he says and this is adding fuel to the fire he says Bailey, there's no need to be dramatic. Which I feel like if I was already strung up and someone was like, Molly, there's no need to be dramatic. And I was like, you haven't even seen drama. But it is, bear in mind, her like first week at work and she then tells her boss to go fuck himself so like maybe rein it in a little bit sweetheart yeah so we learn a bit more about her history and about why she is this way and it's because her mother had sort of lots of 
men who came in and out of her life and her mum would drop everything for this man. It says here, like, when someone viewed you as an object, every interaction became transactional. And the sad truth was that to many men, a woman could be nothing but an object. Maybe a trophy, maybe a childhood blanket, maybe a piece of rubbish. It made no difference. She'd learned long ago to leash her emotions around men she might desire. At the end of the day, most of them were only good for one thing. So she's got, like, reasons yeah. as to why she is a bit guarded and a bit snappy around men, but I still think this was excessive. <laughs> like, so the next thing is she goes to see John in the hotel, and I just like this because she goes in yeah. and she's like, knock, knock, bitch, I bought presents. And she's, like, got him a phone. And lots of sweets. They have a little picnic on the bed. Cash has got him this interview. Cash is going to go and take him to get him a suit. Then he starts, John starts teasing her about Cash, and she's like, no, no, you're way off. Like, that there's nothing, there's nothing's gonna happen. Nothing. No chance. No way. I won't say <laughs> I it. Mean, no, no. no. And um, <laughs> John's like, you serious? I why deny? Oh. Um, and he says like, what's that old quote about the lady doth protest too much? You're telling me you don't want to smash him to smithereens? <laughs> like absolutely yeah completely we all need a john in our life but then she's like oh like i thought he was cute but now he's kind of like blown hot and cold and like he's being manipulative i don't like that um tortured artist is just code for attractive asshole and john's like only if he's doing it to be a dick though like have you considered that he might have his own shit going on yeah like everyone has their shit you're not the only person in the world with trauma. Everyone has baggage. You're speaking to literally a homeless man. Like, <laughs> grow up, Bailey. Tell her. Yeah, come on. So the next day at work, she gets a phone call from John, who's just come out of the interview. And John's like, take me up to wherever cash is and I'll tell you both at the same time so I don't have to do this like a thousand times. So Bailey's running up the stairs and she falls quite a lot in this book. She does appear She's to be a, a clumsy bit gal. clumsy. Yeah, which I love. And so she falls and then Cash catches her literally by the arse. Like, he's just like, I've got you and like saves her. And John's at the end of the phone like being like, hello, what's what's happening? I, I can hear... It sounds like someone's asked. Like, what's happening? <laughs> because Jay's in the office, Cash is like, oh, let's just put a headphone in each. And they're sitting next to each other. And they're very close. And it says, her heart suddenly thumping. She shuffled around until she was sat facing him. She sat on the desk, he in his chair. She leaned forward, face in her hands, elbows against her knees, until they were close enough to share. She could feel the heat of his breath against her cheek. But she kept her eyes down, which was a mistake. Had his thighs always looked so fucking good in that pair of jeans? And was that his? No, 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 no. <laughs> Bailey reined in her rampant thoughts, dragged her eyes away and focused on the conversation at hand. You're like, Powell's trying to tell you about his new job and you're like, is that his? No. Is that his? Is that Not the D? <laughs> but it definitely is the D. It is the D. So it all goes well for John and they hang up and Jay's in the office and is like, you know, it's a really nice thing that you're doing. Like Cash does this sort of thing all the time, but like, you, Bailey, this isn't something that people often do. So after that, we get a bit of backstory on Cash. That thing of like, well, Cash is always doing this sort of thing really sticks with her. She's like... Oh, is this... Again, unfortunately, that's not a thing people do. It's quite strange when someone does give a shit about homeless people. Yeah, and so she says like, were you homeless? And he says that for a bit as a kid, he was not like 
on the streets homeless but in other people's houses homeless on the sofa like sleeping on buses kind of moving around in shelters that sort of thing and she says the same she's like we we moved around a lot because her mum was following all these men and the phrase that she used is that they would move whenever they found themselves financially embarrassed yes which is such a like her mum trying to hold it together way of describing that situation running away Yeah. yeah And Cash is like, oh, so you were homeless as well? And she was like, no, we weren't. And he was like, you didn't have a home. I, like, that's, that's sounds homeless. That's homeless, yeah. And this is one of those things that we were saying, like, the this book somehow manages to do so well is building up this, like, really sexy relationship between these two characters and then having them have, like, a really intense conversation about, like, yeah. abject poverty and the way that people are let down by the system and all this kind of stuff and it not feeling out of place in the sexy stuff. A lot of this book is like it just cuts to the next day. So I'm not being flippant when I'm like, and the next day at work, and then the next day at work. Bailey's at the desk and she's yawning away and Cash is a bit like, why are you so tired? Like, what is wrong with you? What is happening? And she says something like, it's really rude to talk about a woman's appearance. And then he's like, what if I told you that you're beautiful? And like, other people around the office are listening, so it's a bit weird to say that. Like, if I was an employee and a boss said that to... Yeah, to the new receptionist, you'd be like, wow, yeah, okay. Um, that's a bit forward. Bailey then retorts, beauty is like a firework. It shines, you stare, and then it's gone. Mentioning it is just pointless, which I liked. She's not her mum. Like, her mum knew how to take a compliment and how to make a guy feel good about himself. And she's just kind of like, leave me alone. And then she's like, my boiler's fucked. Heating doesn't work. It's too cold to sleep. So she spent all night, like, in the library at uni just trying to get stuff done. Cash is like, has the landlord not done anything? And she's like, it's a student landlord. And they are shit student landlords. But what Cash is about to propose is one of the most unsafe things I can think of. So Cash is like, I'll grab my tools and I will come round and I'll fix your boiler. Right. Cash, as far as I'm aware, is not a corgi registered (laughs) plumber. He should not be touching a boiler. Please only use professionals to look at your boilers. That's Molly's PSA for the week. So they go back to the shitty student accommodation and she's like, if you're going to tamper with the boiler, I'm going to get changed because it's fucking freezing in here and I don't do cold. So she sort of has these like makeshift like sort of like standing screens around the bed because it's like a tiny little studio to kind of separate the bed out from the rest of the room she's like oh if i was my mother i would try and make sure that he could catch a glimpse of me Mm -hmm. getting changed but i'm really barricading myself in here so cash is doing work that he shouldn't be doing with copper pipes next to the boiler and he's like the sight of her outlines a bit too much and he's getting all a bit hot and bothered and he's trying not to remember like trying not to look but he's like oh it just looks so good i don't know what to do here the shadow of her like peeling her jeans off her lush rounded hips the silhouette of her thighs jiggling as she bent over like he's getting really into it he's like fully hard like on her kitchen floor he is so hard um, and then he has like this little fantasy paragraph, which I'll just read out because it like it builds it up. It says, 
He strode forward and pushed the screen aside, finding her naked and gasping. His name crossed her lips, but he barely heard it. He was reaching for her, pulling her into him, his hands travelling over her shivering flesh like a tornado. First, he sank his fingers into the softness of her hips, her arse revelling in their abundance. Then he slid his palms up her ribs, cupped her little tits, brought each sweet nipple to his mouth in turn. What colour would they be? His mind rushed to fill the gaps. They were dark, so dark like ink. He licked and sucked until she wet until she clawed at him and bloomed beneath his touch and then he lay her down on the bed and plunged his aching cock into her slick heat his body covering hers her pussy pulling him in deeper but he looked into her lovely eyes and realized that he hadn't even taken off her glasses cash her voice jolted him out of the fantasy (laughs) like he's like what what yeah no i wasn't picturing you naked um doing bits with my tools doop 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 fixing all the pipes not thinking about fucking you yeah and then she's like do you want something to eat and he's like you so he just crosses the room he doesn't say that but he should have done that's quite hot <laughs> what a line you can have that one if anyone's writing a, an erotica um <laughs> He crossed the room in two steps and took her in his arms. She had just enough time to let out a squeak of surprise before he brought his lips to hers. The need burning in his gut was fierce, but he forced himself to be gentle. She felt so soft he didn't want to scare her. That was the last thing he wanted. And the way he felt right now was almost enough to scare him. And they're like kissing and it's sexy. The kissing is so tense and he's just really into it. And then all of a sudden he like snaps back into the real world and pulls away he's like i have to go i can't do this and she was like don't don't be this person don't do this like don't be this asshole he's like bailey don't ask me to and she's like i've not asked anything I've, you started this like this is very much at your door he uses a phrase that i uh he says i won't i can't ruin you and she's like there's not a man on earth who could ruin me he believed her but obsession turned men into monsters he's leaving he said and then he did yeah it's Ugh, really sad I ruin you i know but like i can't ruin you i hate that whole it's that like it's... don't fall in love with me it's like okay yeah <laughs> wasn't gonna fine i told you not to fall in love with me the next day it's a bit awkward but gem is like a little christmas elf because they've decorated all the downstairs are really decorated but the office upstairs isn't and she's like today we're gonna decorate the office that's what we're doing bailey's like having a fun time with gem and then we kind of flash to cash who wasn't meant to be in work and so he was like planning on sleeping in and then he hadn't because he'd just been thinking about bailey all night because he was like oh i fucked that didn't i and then when he gets there, he's like, oh, she's not here. He'd been, like, gearing himself up to see her, and then she's not there. And so he goes up to the office. I think this whole scene, everyone is very <laughs> unfair to Cash, because I think he has a completely <laughs> legitimate reaction, which is that he walks in, and Bailey is stood on his, like, office wheelie chair, putting tinsel around a curtain pole, and he's like, get the fuck down. Like, this is so dangerous. And then she falls off. Obviously, she falls off, and he, like, leaps across the desk to catch her. And Steve's there, and he's like, why the fuck are you letting the girls climb on chairs? And Steve's like, I just wanted to help, but they wouldn't let me. And Bailey's like, we're not children. He didn't let us do anything. And he's like, Jem's an apprentice, you're a receptionist. Steve is a senior member of staff, and he's also six foot five or whatever. So, like, why are you stood on a fucking chair? Like, you can ask for help from tall people. I think that's one thing you're allowed to do. It's not anti-feminist to ask a tall person to do something (laughs) for you. And he's like, in future, please use a stepladder. And Jem's like, oh my God, we've got a stepladder. And so he like 
flounced out of the room in a huff and I'm like this is completely legitimate because he is their manager he's the boss and if one of them falls and dies it's very much on his shoulders he gets shut down like he gets shut down straight away it's a nightmare for him his PR goes out the window his business is everything it's a massive health and safety issue don't stand on wheelie chairs and get a corgi registered plumber two lessons from this book so the team are all back downstairs talking and Jay is a bit like you're a tattoo virgin aren't you I can tell and then Cash like mishears things and is like you're a virgin and Bailey's like calm down love I'm a tattoo virgin I'm not like you touching me the other day wasn't me being touched for the very yeah. first time. Like, we are good. He goes, oh, no, obviously you don't have any tattoos. Like, look at you, it's not your style. And she's like, I could have a tattoo. And he's like, yeah, but you don't, though. And she's like, well, I want one, Ben. And he was like, cool, well, my one o'clock cancelled, so uh, we'll get it done. I love that she got a tattoo out of spite. That's something I would so Absolutely. do. She's going through the book of, like, his drawings and stuff, and she sees this Beauty and the Beast, you know, with, like, the rose in the... In glass yeah, thing. thing and she's like that she gets well turned on by it it's kind of sexy she's gets the thirst and she's got a glint in her eye and she's slowly stroking his fingers and like leaning over and like tracing the like the tattoo designs on his arms and he says bailey sometimes when you look at me like that it makes me want to be a better person and she's like but Aww. you're a great person and then they're like getting all close and she like grabs the t-shirt and he groaned against her lips and then she felt the huge chair shift as he climbed on over her his legs bracketing hers and his broad body covering her own she arched against him and was rewarded when her pelvis met the stiff column of his erection sending a delicious thrill through her veins desperate thoughtless wanting her reality sharpened to a fine point in which nothing but need mattered she rose up again writhing beneath his wickedly decadent weight grinding her aching pussy against his swollen cock and then like she takes a top off and there's a bit of nipple sucking and he's just like i just never thought anything like this and she's like you don't need to do this like stop this right now in the way that like when they were kissing and he got in his head at her flat she like gets in her head and the fact that he's like trying to say these nice things is just turns her off and she's like don't don't do this with me like don't the phrase she uses is he was probably too busy dreaming up pretty speeches designed to talk her out of her knickers and she was like i was already i was already doing it like i'm already there you don't need to say this shit you don't have to prince charming you don't have to like put the cherry on top of the icing i'm iced up i'm ready to go like this is unnecessary and he's like but these are just my emotions i'm just like having not feeling they're just some feelings you're being really mean let men have feelings they're allowed to we spent so long trying to get men to have feelings and now they're having them let them have them and she's like i'm not an idiot cash i don't know how you usually operate but you don't need to give me the prince charming speech if you want to fuck just ask and i'll give you a yes or a no this is when he introduces her to the 90 day rule he's like i want you and that scares me because i don't do that i do 90 days that's what i can give you and he says you say you don't want fairy tales but i doubt you want that she's a bit like i'm a big girl 
I can do this. Strap in, let's, let's do, do it. Let's do it. And it says, it never occurred to people that women might possess more than two dimensions, that she might be awkward, geeky and horny all at once. Yes, I love that. We can do all, we can be We can be things. all things, that's it. She's like, we people think that because she like reads books and likes Disney, she's like a good girl and she has, that. she's getting her degree and all this kind of stuff. Whereas like, she's like, and sometimes I just want to fuck a sexy tattoo artist and there's nothing wrong with that. So it gets to the weekend. Cash is having a nice little Sunday lie-in. And it is hard as the sunrise. Hard as Dickens? I don't know. Pick whichever one you want out of those two. Well, I mean, it's what a choice. <laughs> but he's like this little bit of a taste of Bailey that he's got as not like... It's not enough. And he threw off his thick winter duvet and exposed his naked body to the cool air. He wrapped a fist around his erection and stroked fast and hard, memories flashing through his head. Bailey, her head thrown back, her face a picture of agonised lust, her body beneath his, the plump softness of her hips, the silky skin of her tits, those black coffee nipples hardening between his lips. But then the memory sort of like change. It's not memories anymore. It's him like having this fantasy of them like being cute and naked together and like whispering his name and stroking his hair and all these kinds of things and he's like that's that's not what i came for like he wanted hardcore wank and he was getting softcore wank but the phone rings and he picks it up and obviously because he's having a wank over bailey he's like uh bailey and john's like it's 2020 like you have a mobile phone it says (laughs) it literally says who it is you don't have to do that anymore And John's saying, like, thank you so much for inviting me to your family Christmas. But I happen to have met a gentleman who is also going to be alone on Christmas. And um, we've decided to be alone together. And Cash is like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, let me know how it goes. (laughs) Like, does this gentleman know that he's in for a fucking? So it's it's not Monday because Bailey doesn't work Mondays. Uh, she works Tuesday so Cash is very excited to see her after having a nice little wanky doodle over her she's like reading like a science book yeah she's doing some research and he's like I want to talk to you you can you can tap out of this and she's like uh no I think I'm a big girl like I know what I'm getting myself into and she's like I'm not a princess you don't need to treat me like one and he's like yes you are and yes I do and she's like fine but princess is like next just as much as the next girl And he was just hard as a rock instantly. She is like, let's get down to business. And he's a bit like, what? And she's like, come round here. And he said, well, shit. His cock straining against his jeans. Cash practically ran around to her side of the huge high desk. His heartbeat pounding in his ears. He stood before her, the desk separating them from the rest of the world. With a mischievous smile, she pulled him in closer. Not by his hand, by his belt. And then she goes down to give him head. Bailey sank onto her knees in front of him, her hands hovering just above his thighs, drawing closer and closer to his aching cock with every passing moment. He waited for what felt like a century as she studied him, a satisfied smile curving her lips. She might be satisfied, but he wasn't yet. Touch me. <laughs> Sorry, I should have done it like that. Touch me. Like fucking he Susan Sarandon in it. Rocky Horror. <laughs> And he's like, please. So she goes down. It's pretty sexy. It's hot to read about. She seems to be doing quite a good job. And he's really getting into it. He's like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. She's working his shaft with her lush mouth. She's like looking up at him with her big eyes and her Christmas jumper on. Just as he's about to come. And then Jem just Jem walks, walks in. He's the like, door. morning. He's like, hey, Jem. And she's like, 
why is he so happy? And then Bailey pops up and is like, oh, I dropped my pen. We get to Bailey finally getting her tattoo. And this is one of the best bits I think in the book is that she's wearing jeans. She's getting tattooed on her thigh and she can't wear her jeans. So Jem's like, oh, okay, I'll go and get something from the shop. And considering we've had all this dialogue about how like, big her bum is and how rounded her thighs and her hips are, she says to Jem like, oh, can you get me a size 18 on the bottom? And I was like, wait, there's a description of a woman being quote unquote thick and she's not a size 10. Like she's yes. actually the size that she's meant to be. She's she's not this, yeah, I was just like, this is brilliant. She is Talia a plus size hero. Smashing it, we love it. So he does the tattoo for her. She loves it. And then they're like talking about what everyone's doing for Christmas. And everyone's like, I'm going this place. I'm going to see so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And Bailey's like, oh, I'll probably just be at home. Oh, have we addressed that her mum passed away? No, we haven't actually. So she's got no family. So she would just be by herself. Cash is like you should come home with me but he just says it in front of everybody and is like you could come to my family christmas if you want and she's like what and he's like oh because in the article she read where she found he was famous one of the first things he did when he got was to buy his mum like a big house and so he's like yeah like we're having christmas with my mum and my sister's like, family just come over at the big house it'll be you chill come. and like everyone else in the office is like looking like oh, did he really just ask the receptionist ask the new come, girl to go home with him been, for yeah. christmas <laughs> it has been like two weeks baby that she's worked there and uh and she says yes so then we do like a chapter skip and we're driving up to the house and she's like oh my god this house is amazing he's all like really tense and like stressed but it's hard to explain like my family have been through a lot and i don't do this like i don't take people home mm. for christmas this is like a really big deal his sister comes out and there are like kids running around being like uncle cash uncle cash and this like yeah. tense moment of him sort of opening himself up to her gets like gets broken, broken. Yeah. but she says something really good so like he's going into it and she's like well it's about your dad isn't it and he's like what and she's like well your parents fuck you up and you seem to get on with your mum so I'm guessing it's your dad and he was like yeah she like sent me to therapists and I don't want to talk about it and she says I study cognitive psychology remember taking care of your mental health isn't weird to me and I was like yeah because again with this toxic masculinity trait of men don't have mental health issues they do. They do, yeah. The patriarchy fucks everybody up. It's not Everyone. just women who are yeah. affected by the patriarchy. Another thing to just quickly address is like, because he's bringing a girl home and obviously he has this 90 day rule, his mum has just been a typical mum about it and gone, well, it's your girlfriend, didn't it? And he's like, I, I don't know what to say. He's like, like, I can't really explain the 90 day rule to my mum. Bailey is like the chillest person you could take home for Christmas because yeah. she's fully like, he's like, my mum thinks she's my girlfriend and she's like yeah of course she does because it's your mum like it's literally fine and it's this big nice family that he goes into we, we meet his sister called Monroe and she's got a husband called George and two kids and they go into the kitchen and the mum's like done a full buffet plus she's making spag bottles <laughs> spaghetti um, and she calls him he calls him cashew nut she's like cashew nut. cashew nut and he's like mum stop it <laughs> really she's like cash get out the kitchen and he's like, I can't leave, like, I can't leave her. Like, you've just met. And she's like, no, pours like Bailey a glass of wine. And there's like, us girls are going to have a chat. <laughs> it's like, her name, what's her name? Her name's Karen. Her name's literally Karen. Karen. 
we love Karen. Big mum energy. She's got good Karen energy. She's a pure Karen. And I mean, like, she literally, um, Bailey describes her, she's like, it is like Molly Weasley is offering me a glass of wine. And I'm like, yes, that's <laughs> what you want for Christmas. So that's like the best Christmas present. It is. So then they're sitting down, they're having dinner. Monroe's husband is described as being like, very blunt, very to the point, um, very clever. Karen's like, he's very clever, but in the space that of that... That not good with people. Yeah, there's not really any space <laughs> for, like, politeness in that cleverness. The kids are like, oh, it's Uncle Cash's girlfriend. And he's like, she's not my girlfriend. And George's like, so who are you? Like, why are you here? And everyone's like, George, can you not? And he's like, no, you told me to make conversation. I am making conversation. I'm just making small talk. Where are your parents? And she's like, oh, my mum's dead. And he's like, oh. <laughs> they're dead. Um, <laughs> and then and then Cash like it's really awkward in the room and then like Cash like throws down his knife and fork and is like Bailey is here because I want her to be I invited her because she's important to me and because I wanted to spend Christmas with her he reached out and grabbed her hand holding it tight on top of the table it's really cute and it's like he keeps being put in this position of having to, it like forces his hand like he has to he has to justify why she's there. But then afterwards, she's having a bev with Monroe, with the sister. And Monroe's like, he does really like you. Like, he's never done this before, but he's a complicated man. Like, we had a difficult childhood. And this is when Monroe tells Bailey that their father was abusive and that he was, like, obsessed with their mum. They kept trying to run away from him. He kept trying to find them. And they're all, like, a bit fucked up about it naturally yeah obviously and then cash is in the doorway and cash is like fucking fuming that she's telling bailey stuff proper like staring her out bailey's like i can see he's like shaking with anger like he's so angry and she's like i'm tired cash we're going to bed now aren't we because i'm tired you're not gonna have an argument with your sister on christmas eve we're gonna go to bed so they go up to bed they go back and it is hot it is literally like seven pages of sex so we can't read it all out to you but it is very hot please go and read it yourself he starts off and he says like i don't know how i would feel if i was in the moment and someone said this to me but it's a very nice thing he says he's like you're divine you're like the sunlight through stained glass this isn't how i thought things would be and she's like how do you think it would be and he was like heavy thick as blood not like this not like breathing and i love it i knew i would but you feel like satisfaction like every summer i ever had should i be worried she's like trust me and he's like okay i trust you and then they get down to business it's really sexy there's a lot and he's like clothes off i always see you naked when i dream of you and it's really cute because like so he undresses and he's obviously got all his tattoos and he's obviously like really hard because as we've learned like he's very responsive boys and he's like keep taking your clothes off and she like takes off her clothes and he's like you're not naked yet and she's like oh cute and takes off her glasses and he's like you literally still have your pants on like take your knickers off she looked down and oops there he stood like a fucking god the image of sex itself and here she was in her beauty and the beast knickers not an easy situation to can take troll of but she rather thought she could regain the upper hand so she like bends over like really slowly to take her knickers off she felt his hands on her a palm gripping each cheek as he explored the expanse of brown flesh she stepped out of her underwear a moment before he spread her wide pushing her further forwards and then suddenly his warm breath skated across her slick exposed folds she braced herself against the bed 
opening her legs wider, bending lower, pushing wantonly back towards his mouth, and he obliged her silent request, his hot tongue sliding along her slit in a move that made her ache right down to her bones. His tongue toyed with her clit until she felt dizzy. I owe you, he said, pulling back as was thick and smoky. I owe you five orgasms at least. Which is a nice thing to It's a be really owed, nice like, thing to be offered. Like five golden rings, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, He's like fingering her and licking her out at the same time. And it's a lot sexier than how I've just described it. It's really sexy. Really sexy. Like, again, this is seven pages of probably one of the sexiest things we've read on this podcast, I think. And a combination of sexy and realistic because he's like going down on her and he's fingering at the same time. I think she comes a couple of times like that. And then they're at the point where he settled over her, hooking an arm under her leg, pushing it up out of his way. Then he shifted forwards until the head of his aching cock came to rest against the heaven that was her cunt. But the minute that searing heat pressed against him, he let out a defeated sigh. Fuck. Condom. And he goes and gets a condom because he's a good boy. Um, (laughs) He's a good boy. He knows he should be safe. And I like that. That like, ah, man. like Getting really into it there. But uh, not going to put you Uh, at any risk. So safety first. And whilst he's putting on the condom, she notices that he has a scar. And she's like, you have a scar. And he's like, of all the women in all the world, of course, she'd be the one to notice my scar. He's a bit like, yeah. And she's like, how? And he's like, I'll just kiss her out of this. Like, I'll just make her come. We're not doing this now. You just come now, darling. You just come. Which she does. They're having sex. And he's like, oh, he thought he could lose it at any moment, but he didn't. He held on. And he, I think he only makes her come four times. Only four. Which is still quite a lot in yeah, one night. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. He's like holding himself back to be able to make her come more than once. And it's really, really fit. Please go and buy this book to read these seven pages. It is worth it for this seven pages of Christmas sex. Yes, it 100%. Really if we had time to read it all to you, believe me, we would. So they have this really, really, really sexy chapter. Very sexy, top notch. One of the top notchiest, sexiest chapters we've had. Then he had the best sleep of his life. And he wakes up the next morning kind of hoping for some more, but she's sat up doing some uni work and she's like, I've just lost all my dissertation because my laptop is a piece of shit. Fuck, fuck, fuck. My laptop sucks. And he's like, oh, what a terrible shame. Well, isn't it fortunate that I bought you a MacBook for Christmas? (laughs) Cool. 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 Just leave it there. We're just going to leave it there. And then they have sex again. Obviously, because you bought her a MacBook for Christmas. Obviously, yeah. But it's we don't get into any detail on this sex. We just get, like, fade to black. We've just had seven pages of hot sex. So we'll, we'll let that off. Yeah. So it's Christmas Eve. They spent the day doing, like, Christmassy shit, playing with the kids and baking. It's very Christmassy. And George says... And this is actually really sweet of, like, George. George is like, oh... We were worried about you, that you closed yourself off, but now you're in love like us. Cash is like, I'm not in love with Bailey. And like, everyone's like... You can hear a pin drop. Everyone's... Because obviously Monroe and Karen are like, that is not a thing you say to someone. And George is like, really? Because I was quite sure. And Monroe's like, "Ah, no, shut up. She's like, boys go to bed. And they're like, mom. And she's like, for the love of God, will you just go to bed right now? And then Cash like doubles down because he's like... I'm not in love with Bailey. And then Rory's like, no, we heard you the first time. You really don't need to say it again. It's like one of those things that you can't believe you're saying it. And he's like, I'm not I'm not in love with Bailey. Like, 
I'm not in love with Bailey. And everyone's like, ah, each time it's like a blow in her heart. <laughs> and then he runs away. He's like, I have to go. He's like, I need to leave this situation. And Bailey is like upstairs. She's like doing an angry pack. She's like trying to put all her stuff away. And she's like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Like, this is awful. And she's like, how am I going to get home? I'm going to use all my savings on a taxi to get me home because I cannot stay here. And then she finds his sketchbook there's a picture of her in it and she's like okay that's a oh that's a picture of me that's nice and then she turns the page and there's another picture of her and then she turns the page and there's they're all pictures of her all the way back to it's just like and it's like bailey this day all the way back to when he just called her like coffee shop girl with this date and then it says on it like tomorrow find out her name and then there's all these pictures and she's like obviously very conflicted she's like i don't know what to do with this because this is a lot but also what just happened was also a lot. And just as she's packing, like, she hears the door knock and Karen, his mum, comes in. Like, look, you can't leave. Yes, he's a bit of a dick, but there is a reason as to why. And bless her, Karen's like, he's the one who made everything awkward. Like, if anyone's leaving, it should he be should him. Leave. And we're like, Karen, no. Yeah. And she's like, let me tell you why Cash is the way he is. And again, we're not going to go into like vast amounts of detail because this is really bleak. It made me cry. Like, I was crying this morning. The short story is... Run us through the bullet points. Karen is 16 when she meets her partner who works in the school as the caretaker and he's 27. They run off to Gretna Green as soon as she is able to get married. Her parents disown her because of what she's done. The guy that she's married can't get a job or gets fired because obviously he is with a minor and he then twists it into saying that Karen is the bad luck, that she's trapped him, this is all her fault and starts beating her. When she got pregnant, he got upset that Monroe was a girl um, and then got better when she had a boy but it didn't get great. So they escape one night, they go to a women's shelter, he finds them, and it's a few years of them going across the country, him finding them, them having to leave again constantly um, until they have about four years of peace and Monroe and Karen are both at work where he finds them again and he finds Cash at home. He stabs Cash and they have this big fight and the police get called. In the interim, I should say, this man found another woman. He beat her. She went to the police, something that Karen had said that she didn't think the police would believe her on, which is something that is really, really common in these situations. He was about to get arrested, fled. That's where he went to their house. So when they went to the police over this altercation with Cash, he ends up getting caught, having like domestic violence, grievous bodily harm, assault with intent to resist arrest, perverting the course of justice, breaking and entering, attempted murder. He gets life sentence 25 years before parole. Yeah, because of all of this, Cash has a fuckload of issues, as you would imagine. And he builds up walls. And even his mum was saying, like, when he was successful, he tried to sabotage that because there's something in him believes that he can't, he doesn't deserve it. So Bailey's like, oh, okay, this is a lot to process. But I probably shouldn't leave. Um, (laughs) 
I'm going to go and find him. And she's like, oh, he'll be back. She's like, I'm not one for waiting. Gets her shoes on, goes and finds him. And he's at this church. Normally, being there makes him feel like calmer. It doesn't. And he keeps going over like, I'm not in love with Bailey. And he's like, I'm a liar. Like, I definitely am. And I've been a coward. And they have it out where he's like, I'm scared that I'm broken and that I will break you because I'm like my dad. And she's like, you are not like your dad. If nothing else, the fact that you don't want to be like your dad tells me that you're not already. And he kind of reveals that actually no we won't do the reveal you can read it yourself there's like a little twist and you can read that yourself guys um yeah we're not going to spoon feed you stories that's what you (laughs) listen to this podcast for (laughs) but he was like i don't want you to pity me and she's like i don't pity you like i just i want you to cut yourself some slack you're not the monster you think you are and then he tells her that he has these like intrusive thoughts which obviously is something she's going to understand because she has this background in psychology it's these voices that tell me that i'm like him and that no matter what i do i can't be better than him and she's like you trust me and i'm telling you that you're not and then they kiss and make up christmas is saved and then we get to one of mine and hannah's favorite things it cuts five years into the future and we get the epilogue and it's christmas and we're back at the big house and karen's there monroe and george and the boys are there cash and bailey and their son is there and bailey's pregnant and john and pete are there with their kids it all comes together they've got like two daughters and it's so nice it's just like it felt like a big ball of love when you read that last epilogue like it felt like christmas it felt like a very safe loving environment i wanted to be there and i'm sad that this christmas like the things that we want which is this this big ball of love we can't i feel like that's almost made reading this this year like so bittersweet is because it was such a beautiful like everyone's there because they want to be and because they love each other and that's what christmas is all about it's not just about who your family are it's about the people you want to spend it with and that's not a thing that we're gonna get which is very sad no so on that note (laughs) (laughs) how wet did you get were you like the ocean how wet did you get were you drier than the desert how wet did you get did this book make you come oh my god i'm gonna give this like an 8.5 maybe a 9 yeah. like a very festive it is up there it's it is sexy it man is so up and as there. i say i think the the extra stuff the um the issues stuff like the mental health and the the other stuff it doesn't make it less sexy it makes it more real and to me that is sexier like i believe that these people are both fucked up and they have their shit and they come together and they have beautiful sex anyway and that's why i'm here it's really good yeah and i would recommend this to anyone we're definitely going to read more talia hibbert that was so good but you don't just have to take our word for it we have scoured the internet to get some other mm-hmm. people's opinions um did amazon like it so amazon mostly fucking loved it as ever i'm going to read you a one star and a five star um the one star i don't particularly agree with but i sort of i don't know i'll read it okay this is written by miss stacy it says i thought since this was a new author to me i'd give her a try well i couldn't have been more wrong the first book i'm reading from her and it is so childish i'm irritated before you find out how old the girl is you think she was freaking 15 until you learn that she is wow 26 i was sure fooled So when you meet all the players, they are at the coffee shop when a homeless man walks in and he's so cold and distraught. Well, the shop owner doesn't like him in there, so he puts everyone out. And of course, the girl is beside herself, so she quits the job. The less 
guy steps in and becomes the hero, gets a hotel room from the homeless guy a week, brackets, really? They give a said girl a job at his tattoo place. Mm. Who goes to a tattoo shop dressed in heels and a business skirt suit? And she, again, is supposed to be 26. She eventually changes, but in the next few, we find out that the homeless man is gay and that he and the girl are some kind of friends because I had no idea you find out when she hires to the hotel and greets him with brackets, knock, knock, bitch. The book gets even more childish. I love knock, knock, bitch. I couldn't even finish. I stopped at chapter 10. I will not be purchasing any more books, this author. I get what she was saying. Like, Bailey acted like a a silly teenager at the beginning, but like every person does that in love. I don't think that's... Yeah, I feel like she's been a bit unfair there. I also feel like she's not read it properly because she was like, oh, I didn't know they were friends. I'm like, it literally says, she's like, John is my friend. (laughs) Yeah, no, fine. Okay, Miss Stacey, we're moving on. Okay, this was four stars, but I liked that this person's review sort of reflected ours in a sense by Suzette Novello depth colourful characters an actual well developed plot gasp a very merry reading this Inkmas wow as a Brit it was great to read a book set in the UK without the top attempts to include stereotypical British mannerisms cough cough American writers (laughs) (laughs) Hibbert is definitely a writer to watch an extremely well written story with colourful characters who make you laugh and cheer for depth finally I felt for Cash and Bailey a lot. They had their own baggages to deal with but supported each other in exploring how to deal with said baggage. My only slight annoyance is that I would have appreciated more fleshing out of Bailey's issues and just seeing more of Cash and Bailey's romantic journey together. Longer books, please. But thank you for the epilogue. It was lovely to see the main characters and secondary characters' happy ending. In summary, if you want a book set in the UK that doesn't include inappropriately placed bloody hell every <laughs> other sentence and strong, engaging and colourful female characters and a handsome male lead that actually respects women, then Mary Ink misses the book for you. Yes. Thank you, Hibbert. I look forward to reading more of you. Perfect. That's exactly it. What do the good people of Goodreads have to say? Goodreads generally pretty good. Um, a lot of it seems to be people who'd read Talia Hibbert before and were saying like maybe this wasn't their favourite of hers, but it's good. A couple saying that they wish there was less secondary characters and more sex. Fine. That's a, uh, that's okay. Legit. That's fine. But the review that I've chosen because I just thought it was like. Mwah is by KJ Charles, a shamelessly fieldtastic Christmas story, which this person read in early summer because, as they say, I'm a rebel. <laughs> um, hero and heroine both struggling with seriously messed up backgrounds, both personally prickly, defensive and far too quick to walk away, but both intensely kind to others, if not themselves. Kindness is such a theme of this author's and it's incredibly powerful. The older I get, the lower my tolerance goes for heroes, indeed men in general, who pile their pain on other people's (laughs) shoulders without thinking twice. Here we have a screwed up guy doing his best not to hurt anyone and who has actual serious mental health issues. Lovely to see this represented. Another fab romance from one of the best contemporary authors we've got. And that's exactly it. I think when I was 17, let's go younger, 15, 16, and in my Twilight phase, tortured mm. artist was very much my jam. It's exactly Whereas what you wanted. As you get older, you're like, oh, that's manipulative and shit. Don't do that to people. You're also not good at art or guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Stop playing Wonderwall and don't use it as an yeah. excuse to be a prick to people. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. Stop playing Wonderwall and stop using it. It's an excuse to be a prick to people. If we do merch, that'll be one because I think that'll sell nice and wide. So yeah, just guys, Merry Christmas. I'm feeling festive as fuck Merry now. Christmas. 
and I just have to say, guys, all we want for Christmas, like Mariah Carey, is you. What we want you to do is go and follow us on all our social medias. So you can find us at on Twitter at LitGagPod, on Instagram at LitCharlieGaggingPods. Yep. And you can email us. We are LitCharlieGaggingPod at gmail.com. And remember, the more you rate, review and subscribe to us, the happier our Christmases will be. So please spread some good cheer our way put your fairy dust and beliefs in us and we will clap like peter pan we do believe in our fans we do believe in our fans we do every time you subscribe to us on itunes an angel gets its wings it's not quite as just snappy (laughs) but but the the sentiment is there we hope people have a wonderful holiday we have no idea what any of us are able to do this festive season but we hope you have a very safe and happy time no matter what you're doing who you're celebrating with what it is that you celebrate just make sure you are looking after yourself make sure you're looking after the people around you make sure you're having a festive wank and if you see mommy kissing santa claus call boris johnson because someone's breached your bubble (laughs) your bubble has burst if you see (laughs) And let's just hope the next year is going to be better than this fucking thing was. So, yeah. Although this year has brought you all this podcast and it's brought me and Molly a chance to speak to each other every single week. We don't know what's going to happen next. We are going to make some decisions. We are going to read some more books. This, I promise, this is not the last. I mean, you probably want it to be the last you hear of us, but it won't be. So, brace yourselves. We will be back with some more juicy content in the new year. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays celebrate whatever it is you're celebrating have a bev have a wank look after each other and eat a fuckload of cheese and chocolate yeah we deserve it this year yes and uh merry christmas molly merry christmas hannah it's weird bye A big thank you to Bobby Bates for doing all of our artwork and our logo and everything, to Bethany Southworth for our jingle, and the other incidental music is from Kevin McLeod of Incompetech, the king of royalty-free jams and saviour of media-strategy students the world over.